This When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by MCAL. Who's responsible for your business IT? As your business grows, IT complexity grows along with it. Security, remote working requirements, backups, uptime all become increasingly important. You need a team of specialists to cover all of these bases. With MCAL, you can have this team at a fraction of the cost of an in-house IT person. Whether your company has 10 employees or 150, we can help. We offer unlimited help desk for small, medium business for all of your staff, structured our business around maximizing customer satisfaction, support requests typically solved in under an hour. 100% Canadian team based in the GTA, we're vendor neutral so we don't push or upsell, and we don't get between you and your critical vendors, so you always maintain control and ownership. We'll help you plan your IT budget to get the most bang for your buck. Our proactive alert system notifies our team of issues and they get fixed before you even notice. We work with clients that value extremely high uptime and predictable costs. Don't settle for meh IT. Your business deserves better. You have more important things to do than worry about your IT, so we'll take care of it. In many cases, we can even start on that day. They are offering a one-month free trial basis. All you have to do is enter the promo code DANGLE to receive an extra free month. All you have to do is hit up www.mcal, that's E-M-K-A-L dot C-A slash S-D-P-N. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. You may have seen it last week. Chris Johnston wrote a really big story on the Winnipeg Jets through an exclusive conversation he had with their team chairman, Mark Chipman. Winnipeg Jets ownership sounds the alarm on attendance. Not going to work over the long haul. The the issues with the Winnipeg Jets and their attendance are well documented. They're drawing 87.4% of capacity. That's third lowest in the National Hockey League. And they already play in the smallest rink, excluding the mullet arena and the overall average attendance has also been down as well there's a lot going on with this team in terms of the fans in the building which is really wild considering how good they've been all year cj let's talk about your conversation with mark chipman how did it come about what can you tell us from what went down let's start to break it down sure well look there's a lot of layers to a story like this right and you know i think the biggest thing is is the origin of the story for me, Julian, was all the way back in October. And, and I know we talked about it here on the CJ show, just about those first three, four, five games. You're, you're almost shocked to look at the box score and see the attendance the Jets were getting uh, right out of the gate. Uh, just because, you know, they had 11 years in a row of sellouts, nearly 332 straight sellouts when that team returned after the move back from Atlanta. And so we weren't accustomed to, to this. And, and, you know, so at that point in time, I started working on a, a jet story, you know, you know, reached out to the team, you know, kind of went on the back burner for, you know, things, things come, come up, but there was an ongoing conversation, I guess I would say about doing a story on this. And if, if they'd be willing to talk about it, I think that was always for my end, what would be most interesting. I mean, we, we could obviously break down the numbers and point out that there's, there's challenges here, but, but actually hearing, you know, from ownership in terms of their thoughts and what they're doing to address the problem, me was going to be the story and and you know ultimately it came in february here i had a chance to to go out they, they gave me a couple games um you know where i i could go to the game and, and speak with mark chipman and uh, we made one work last tuesday when they were playing minnesota and that, that's really how it started what i found when i got there was an incredibly open and honest in my opinion candid mark chipman um you know he owned up to a lot of things that, that maybe are the bigger issues in the market. Like if you're around a team for, for you and I being removed, you know, we're not aware of as much, but, you know, I think there's been some customer service concerns with that organization over the years, um, which, which Mark fully owned, you know, 
I, I really sense that they've done deep, deep soul searching because this is a, this is we're at the end of the third year where this has gone in the wrong direction. Like in the pandemic, they saw a drop. Then they saw a drop the second year after that. And then last year, even a year where they made the playoffs, they saw an, another subsequent drop in terms of their season ticket base. They're down 27 percent in three years uh, on seasons tickets. And again, that isn't just fans. I mean, obviously, that is fans. That, that's the average uh, person out there that, that you know, is, it's a lot of games. It's a lot of money. You know, I under, understand they have a, a, a big number of season tickets that are basically shared by groups uh, as a way to, to obviously, you know, offset the cost. But even just to, you know, functionally, it'd be hard to go to 41 home games a year. Um, you know, but there's also business uh, concerns there because only 15% of their season ticket base is on, on seats that are controlled by businesses. So, you know, we could get into what the organization has done, but they're trying to attack those problems now. This is a huge window, right? I mean, this is the time where teams are now, you know, sales teams within the organizations are focusing on the next season. You know, you, you typically see, you know, next season's uh, season tickets bundled with playoff type packages. I think the Jets are going to do things like that. And Gary Bettman's coming to town this week in Winnipeg as well. And you'll be very curious to see what the commissioner has to say about the state of things you know, when he meets the local media there on Tuesday. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, I was grateful for the chance to be able to go. And, and really, I think if you read the story and you read the, the, the comments specifically from Mark Chipman, I didn't sense that he was blaming anybody. <laughs> if you know what I mean? I think he's, it's almost like when you have a real talk at your dinner table, it was just like, all right, here's, here's the facts. <laughs> and, and this is not in a good place. And, and here's, you know, probably what we're doing wrong. Here's maybe what the fans would understand. Like, how can we bridge these gaps? And, and Mark Chipman himself, Julian, I, I led the piece of this. It's currently phoning like 20 season ticket holders who've let their tickets lapse a day and, and literally hearing firsthand, you know, why, why those people let their tickets go where maybe the jets failed them, or maybe the life circumstances that changed for them that that resulted in this. And obviously, and, and he's inviting each of those people back to, to attend a regular season game this season to see if the jets can win back some of their business. So, um, you know, there's a lot going on in Winnipeg, but the high-level takeaway is this can't go on indefinitely. I, I would say that there's, you know, they, they've reached kind of a low point right now. Mark Chipman hopes it's just a cycle in business and that, they don't, you know, that they'll see an up cycle and, and everything will move on and carry on. But, but it's very clear they cannot stay at the current um, ticket base for years and years and years and have this be, be a team that we're going to consider healthy and viable. Okay, I have a ton of questions about this. Uh, we're both outsiders you did allude to this so when i look at this situation i'm wondering is this more on fan support or is this more on uh, the corporate the corporate base of of tickets which is apparently really small compared to other teams around the around the league so here's the thing winnipeg's the smallest market in the nhl right and so this was always going to be a market that that had less margin for error when there's a turn in the economy, when you have something like a pandemic, which none of us, of course, could have predicted. But but clearly there's there's downstream effects for, for people's lives out of events like that. Uh, we've seen an inflationary environment in Canada that's even eclipsed what you have down in the U.S. It's more expensive to live up here now. Uh, and, and obviously, when you get into having to make those decisions, what's the first thing you cut out? It's going to a concert. It's taking a vacation. It's, it's going to a hockey game. I mean, that, that's just the reality. That's discretionary income. As much as we all love to do those things, uh, it's not the most important thing in our life when you compare it to like, you know, heating your house or, you know, having food in your fridge or all, all the more ne- basic necessities, you know, having, you know, clothes on your back. And so, you know, I, I think that ultimately the Jets have concluded that they have to do a better job with the business base. You know, they've actually recruited 34 local business people, men and women that that have you know, influential positions in the community. They've made them kind of ambassadors for the team. Uh, that's my term, not necessarily their term. And and they they want those people to basically tap into their own networks and and help them sell the jet story, help them you know get get you know some of their their other corporations on board because I think that's the best way long term to ensure stability. Is is you know businesses typically can weather a change in in things a little longer than than an individual, right? Businesses tend to have more money. In, in cash assets than the average person does. And so, you know, I, I think that that's the first thing that they're going to try to do. I think, you know, the second is they're trying to meet people where they are. You know, at the beginning of this team, you remember how they were launched, Julian? People had to make, I think it was either three, four or five year season ticket commitments. Um, and it happened pretty quick, like from when it was officially announced 
that the Thrashers were moving north. Then, then there's this season ticket drive. It happened on a Saturday. They sold all the season tickets in 17 minutes on a Saturday. And, you know, what happened then is a lot of people did organize themselves in groups. It wasn't just like individuals buying a whole package. And over time, you know, and that's something actually Chipman mentioned. He felt that that was a strength. He thought it was a strength that they had lots of people sharing tickets. He said sort of a strength in numbers. But the bubble burst on them. Uh, that, that's his term. Because, you know, what happened was, let's say one or two people in a group move out of town. Just, you know, it's been 10, 12 years. That sort of things happens. Obviously, one or two people's situations change. Maybe they have kids and they just can't use the tickets as much or financially it's a burden, what have you. And then all those groups slowly just started falling apart. And so what, what Mark Chipman said to me is, you know, those people organized themselves originally and bought season tickets. Now we have to reverse engineer it and sell maybe, you know, six game packages to an individual. And, and that's obviously pretty labor intensive. It's easier from an organization standpoint, just to send, sell a block of season tickets. Now they're having to, I think, be more creative for what they do. And so I don't, I really don't think any one factors to blame. Any one group is to blame. I don't think any of us question that people love the Jets. I mean, I just was in Winnipeg for a couple of days last week. Everywhere you go in that city, people are wearing the gear. Like, I'm not talking just at the game. Um, you know, they sold out 332 straight games. I mean, the proof of concept is there. I don't think there can be any doubt whatsoever that people love the game of hockey in Winnipeg, that they love the team, and that it can work there. But the problem is, is they just don't have as much of a safety net when it's not working, right? And or when it goes through a, a tough period. And and you know, there's all kinds of buildings around the league that were once duds that are great. I mean, I'll, I'll point to Florida. I went to so many Panthers games over the years. And I'm just like, why is there even a team here? I mean, other than it's, it's beautiful and all that. I mean, but just it just never felt like they had any buzz around the team. But look, they've had success here in the last couple of seasons. Obviously, got to the Cup final last year, and that building was rocking last year when I was down there in the playoffs, like legit, like alive. And so. I think it's, and I only bring that up as an instructive thing to look at and be like, okay, sometimes teams do go through these these periods, but then they come out on the other side and they're great for it. And I think I think that's still very possible in Winnipeg, but clearly something needs to change for next season. I, I think that they need to see a positive tick up, just just more ticket revenue coming through the door, and they're not going to raise prices by meaningful amounts. So it's going to have to come through more people physically getting in that building, and and I think they're hoping it's going to be with more businesses buying into what they're doing, and obviously you know, maybe some, some individuals in the community, you know, seeing this situation for what it is and realizing, I mean, it only works if the community itself supports a team. I mean, it's, there's no way around it. If they don't sell tickets, the NHL is, is I think Sportico had a, it's funny. It, it, I just saw it on the weekend. It was after I wrote the story, but Sportico had a thing out. It said 45% of, of NHL revenues come from gates. I mean, almost yep. half of the business is people buying tickets. So, I mean, if they're just, if, if people aren't buying tickets to the games over a long period of time, I'm not saying that the Jets are moving next week. It's nothing. I don't think that that's what's in the offing here. But if this trend does not reverse itself, um, we're going to be having this won't be the last conversation we're going to be having. about the, the state of the team, the future of the team and all those things. What can you tell us about Gary Bettman being in town in Winnipeg this week? He's going to meet with some local sponsors. So when we talk about the business interest getting engaged, I think that there's an opportunity to do it there. What's very fascinating to me is they're actually opening the arena early before Tuesday's game against St. Louis. And Bettman is going to have kind of like a fireside type of chat that fans are welcome to listen to. And I mean, I, I don't recall ever hearing him do that. I mean, Bettman visits every market every season, right? He drops in. You, you've, you've probably seen him in Calgary or your time in Montreal as a reporter. He'll usually meet the, the media in an informal way, you know, obviously does things with the ownership. And they, they, these are normal visits. But what isn't normal is that he's having this chat you know, presumably about the health of the franchise or where things are going or what needs to change or, you know, what the league's view on all this is. And, and fans are welcome to listen to it. He's going to speak with reporters and you can only imagine. I mean, this this story, I, I, I even underestimated the reaction it would get locally. I mean, obviously, I knew it was a unique opportunity to speak to, you know, an owner of a team whilst things aren't going great. And that person was as open as Mark Chipman was with me. I mean, I knew that that was the makings of a story that would have some impact, but it, I mean, it set off a, a torrent of conversation. I mean, some of the local writers and, and look at, I don't take this personally, you know, weren't happy that they weren't the ones having that discussion um, with ownership rather than someone like me, who's a, a national writer from who lives elsewhere. Um, you know, so I, I think the tone of that Gary Bettman press conference will be very interesting. And, and I'm curious to see what he says. You know, I dug up an old quote 
uh, that, that didn't really register at the time. But when the team came back from Atlanta, Gary Bettman said, if the building isn't full, this isn't going to work very well. And it, it, that, that quote at the time almost was meaningless because they sold all those season ticket packages in 17 minutes. They had a wait list, right? It, it didn't look like it was relevant. But, you know, you fast forward 13 years and it's relevant because the Jets have the second lowest attendance this season out of everyone in the league but Arizona and they're playing out of a college ring. And so, you know, the, the, the ticket prices in Winnipeg are the second lowest in Canada, at least according to Mark Chipman. I, you know, I don't have there's, there's a lot of mystery. There's, it, you know, anytime we get into attendance stories or, or ticketing, like there's kind of a black box there. Right. I mean, we don't get to see the actual numbers, um, but I certainly take him at his word. Why? I mean, why would he lie about that? And so what you have is they've had declining revenues. And and this is what I, I will say. This is, a, I again, as an outsider, what I see is in the face of declining revenues, they're still spending money. Like they're still operating, you know, because some businesses go into a tailspin. I'm not, I'm not just talking about pro sports, but when you start, when you don't have to bring as much money in the door, what do you do? Well, you cut your costs, right? But the yeah. problem is when you cut your costs, your, your, your product usually gets weaker, your service gets weaker and all those things. The Jets, I mean, I hadn't been to that building since before the pandemic, probably been three or four years since I was last in Winnipeg. The, it, the building has been upgraded in a noticeable fashion if, if you haven't been there in a couple of years. Um, you know, they've invested in lounges and things that, that you know, are, are meeting the customer's needs in a different way. Uh, we know that they signed Hellebuck and Shifley to big, you know, $120 million worth of combined contracts in October. They extended Nino Niederreiter in December. They made a trade for Sean Monaghan. They're spending right at the cap ceiling, essentially. I mean, they're doing and, – and they're one of the best performing teams in the Western, Western Conference at the moment. So let's – in, in the face of what what isn't been great for them business wise, you know they're actually still operating the way you would want your team to operate. I mean they're, they're not they're not getting cheap on you. They're not you know trying to to serve up some of the rosters we see around the league right now. You know they are resisting going into a rebuild, and I, I know people question them on that. I think it's so smart. I I just look at where we're at with some of these rebuilds. The Buffalo Sabers have not played a playoff game since Winnipeg re-entered the league. Like put your mind around that. And do you know what the other team is that's down near the bottom of attendance? It's Buffalo. And, and that's a great hockey market, much like Winnipeg. That's a place where people love the game, where there's a rich history, where the team's been there a long time. But, you know, that team has been nowhere from nowhere for 15 years. And, and I think that's the danger is, is for the teams that, that go total scorched earth is it can take a long, long, long time. You might never get there. I mean, Buffalo's, had what they've also had like multiple first overall picks, a second overall pick in that cycle, and still haven't been able to pull themselves out of it. And, I, and I'm not trying to pick on the Sabres for this conversation, but I'm saying, you know, Winnipeg has remained competitive. I mean, they, they've missed the playoffs the odd year, but they've never torn it down. They're, they're still out there making trades. Uh, obviously, I don't think Winnipeg's ever going to be the hottest destination for free agents, but I, I think that, that I see a team that's actually been pretty well managed from a hockey operations standpoint, given some of the, the challenges they might have unique to their market. And look, they could win a Stanley Cup this year. I mean, I'm not predicting that, but they're, they're in the pretty large group of teams that I think have a puncher's chance at it. And so, you know, that's a long way of saying they, they are not, they, they haven't responded to these, the financial challenges by, by, you know, getting cheap or, you know, because I think that would be doomsday. That would be a death spiral, right? Because then if you're not putting a product on the ice, it's worth even watching. I mean, we're, What's everyone even doing there? So, look, this is I'm, – I'm honestly rooting for them. I can say that, I think. I mean, it's maybe a little unprofessional, but I, I love going to games in that city. I was there the day they came back, like the first game they played back from Atlanta. I was there for an outdoor game um, that they played. Uh, I was there in the 2018 playoffs in the conference final against Vegas, covered that series. They, like, it's it's an awesome place to watch a game. And it, it, it'll probably be awesome this spring, too. Like, I have to believe – even with some of the challenges, even with where the market is at, even with some of the, the controversy, I'll maybe call it around these comments from Mark Chipman. I mean, if you're a fan of that team, you got to look at it like when the playoffs started, you're not going to want to go to a game. Uh, and even the game I was at against Minnesota last week, I have to say it wasn't quite a sellout. There were about a thousand fans short of a sellout, give or take, but it was, it was still loud and, and they had a big win that night and there's a rivalry with Minnesota and they were, you know, taunting Ryan Hartman, who of course was involved with the, the Cole Perfetti high stick. Uh, earlier this season like my point is is that the the building was alive again for that game and so i'm hoping that that maybe this story you know story like this comes out obviously there's gonna be more discussion with bettman in town this week but that 
it quickly starts transitioning to Winnipeg bouncing back from a business standpoint. I mean, that, that's where I hope it gets to. I, I hope we're not talking at some point about them leaving town again. I don't think it's at that point just yet um, where that's like a real conversation that's happening. But, you know, the market has to go to games. At, at the end of the day, and I'm not, I'm not taking shots at any fans or anything. I get it. Like, it's, times are tough out there. I live a good life. If I had to pay for tickets, I couldn't pay for a whole season's worth of tickets. And, and so like, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not being hard or trying to lean on anyone who's in a difficult spot. Cause I realize a lot of people out there really are struggling. Um, but you know, between the business interests, between maybe some fans that, that can do it. I, I just think the community has to rally around the team or at some point we're, we're going to be talking, unfortunately, about the team leaving town again, if that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's the, the thing that makes this so strange for me following this story. I'm so used to following teams with attendance issues because the team isn't performing well or the ownership right. isn't willing to spend. The way that you've detailed it, it seems as if the Jets are 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 doing those things and maybe fans might feel a little differently about how they've gone about some of those things. But we're looking at a team on the ice that's playing really well. That's I mean, even last year before they collapsed partway through, they were playing very well and they're still going through some of this. I, I, I sympathize for fans as they have to worry about their team's future, even though there's some of them. I mean, we know what the attendance issues are there and it's more of a business thing, but there are fans that do show up to games that are fans of the team that care about the team and they have to go through this again. Like this is this is really tough for them. I I I, I sympathize for them. Yeah, and, and look, at it, it's a touchy subject. I mean, Mark, towards the end of the interview, like, it grew a little more emotional. Mm -hmm. I don't mean tears, but, like, you know, I could feel, like, look, at it, there's no way he wanted to have that conversation with me or anybody else, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's a sign of how bad things are when that you get to a point where that conversation can happen. But one thing that, that he said that really stuck with me, he's like, I'm still looking for the words to, like, put to this. Like, for people that live there, this is a really emotional thing. I mean, Mark Chipman when he was in his thirties, got involved in, in the mid nineties with the, the save the jets campaign. He was part of the, the, the group of local business people who tried to save the jets originally. And they were ultimately unsuccessful. You know, obviously then he set, you know, he, he it kind of gave him purpose uh, in terms of, he got the arena built downtown. He's obviously partnered with people in town. He got the AHL team there. He got to the point where the NHL could come back. He's now, you know, 12, 13 years in on this with an NHL team. I mean, this guy's invested his, his adult life into this thing. And, and he knows that, that it's a sensitive subject that if, if there's even the, the sort of idea that there's a threat, the team could leave like that, that the fans could turn on that or, or not be put out by that. And, and he said, he's still searching for the right words to, to use. And so I, I really, I don't know. It's, it's a, uh, you know, sport pro sports is a lot of things, right? At the end of the day, it is just a business. I mean, ultimately the issues he's talking to me about, we, it could be any business anywhere. I mean, basically, it's a decline in money through the door. It's concern about if they can keep doing the things they need to to run the business properly with that amount of money coming through the door. I mean, it, it, it on one hand, it's just pure economics. It's just dollars and cents. But on the other, we're talking about pride in a community. We're talking about something that, that you know, I think gives Winnipeg, a, you know, a sense of self. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are proud of that team. And, and and obviously, it's something you, you pass on between generations. Hopefully, the team's there in 50 years. So there's, there's a lot going on there. And um, I, I, as I say, I think my story, I guess, shone the flashlight on it last week. But I, I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation there. I, I would also uh, like to point our viewers and listeners to Murata Tesh's column about the team as well, titled, The Winnipeg Jets Finally Acknowledge Their Issues. Now, how do they win back fans? Because he also did a great job writing about this, too. I have one more question, CJ, uh, with regards to this situation. A lot of people are going to look at this situation and compare it to what Arizona is going through with their own rink. And some fans will feel that Arizona keeps getting these chances. They keep getting this runway to figure it out. How much time does Winnipeg have to resolve their situation? It's a hard answer to give definitively because it really comes down to how long is ownership fine losing money. I mean, that, that's really what it is. And and the Jets are co-owned by David Thompson, who's you know a member of Canada's wealthiest family. And so you know, in theory, if if between Mark Chipman and David Thompson, they're they're fine taking losses over a huge period of time. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to come to a head. But I mean, I think 
most business people don't want to lose money. I think that they believe it can be a cash neutral business. I, I don't get the sense they're trying to make money on the Jets. I think they they believe though, if if they're selling enough tickets, they can properly put a team that's a cap team on the ice. They can keep making investments around the arena into making sure it's modernized and it's delivering what fans need. They can obviously employ the people they need in the organization and they don't lose money, but they they basically break even. I think that that's in a market as, of Winnipeg size, I think that's essentially the goal. And and they're not meeting that goal today. And so it's hard for me to put a timeline on it because I don't really know what's in the minds of those two people, even sitting down with Mark. I mean, I can't ask him, hey, are you going to turn the keys in? Like, I mean, that's not the way he's thinking. He's He is so dug in on just making sure that's not even a conversation that that it wouldn't have been a fair question. But, you know, I will point out he's 64. He's in great shape. But, you know, his passion for it might not last forever or, or what have you. You know, I, David Thompson is a very... Um, private individual. And so I don't think anyone other than his close circle of family or friends would know what he's thinking. But, you know, I, I do think that ultimately for it to be a viable business, it's it's got to turn around sooner than later. And and I don't think we want to be having this conversation three years from now, where if they haven't rebounded ticket wise, then then it's more of a trouble. Look, there's more urgency in Arizona because they're, they're coming to the end of a second year season in a college rink. And there's still currently, as we're recording this, no plan to get out of that situation, no firm plan, no timelines. So I, I think Arizona is going to come to a head much sooner than, than anything in Winnipeg. But um, as I said, hopefully, hopefully that just doesn't come to pass. Maybe this is just, this is a moment where they, they actually, their message gets out where businesses hear it loud and clear, where they sell a lot more tickets to those interests and, and everything kind of rebounds and steadies and we go on with our lives. Yeah, we'll have to monitor this story as it develops. Good work uh, with your reporting, CJ, and also to Murata Tesh as well on the Winnipeg Jets. This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Shopify. Let's think of some dynamic teammates, shall we? Gronk and Brady in the NFL, Pippen and Jordan in the NBA, Venus and Serena in tennis. What about you and Shopify? You know what Shopify is? Well, it's the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your shop online stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning off apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify will help you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has you covered. Shopify can even help turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Johnston, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash Johnston now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Johnston. Let's move on to Chicago. Big weekend for them. They have a jersey retirement ceremony for Chris Chelios, one of the best defensemen to play in the game. Stanley Cup champion, three-time Stanley Cup champion, winning with Montreal and Detroit, but of course spending a handful of seasons in Chicago. Uh, but uh, a little overshadowed by one Patrick Kane, arguably the best player to ever play for Chicago, one of the most exciting players we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, uh, scoring an overtime winner for Detroit. Just still can't get over the fact that Patrick Kane plays for Detroit. Uh, but what an eventful game. What a wild finish to that game. The fans, the way they reacted to Patrick Kane with the video tribute for him before the game, and then giving him an ovation after the fact, the victory laps. There's a lot we can get to from that game. What did you make of, of Patrick Kane's return, and what did you make of Chris Chelios having his number seven retired in Chicago? I mean, it gave you a chance to feel a little nostalgia, didn't it? Because what has Patrick Kane been but one of the best primetime players of this generation? Um, Showtime, to play even. the biggest, Right. Seemed to be the play the biggest when the stakes were highest. Scored so many huge, huge goals for the Blackhawks on their way to their winning the three Stanley Cups while he was a member of the team. 
overtime winners, series winners in overtime uh, with big celebrations. And and the stakes weren't quite set at that. But I mean, obviously for him, a, a hugely emotional night. You know, Patrick Kane has said if the, if Chicago wasn't moving on from him, he probably would have just retired as a member of that team. He would have stayed there. He wasn't looking to move elsewhere. But, you know, the team got to a point where it was in a rebuild and it wanted to move on from him and Jonathan Taves. And so that is what it is. But he never even wanted to be returning to United Center as a visiting player. Um, you know, but I think he settled in nicely with Detroit. It's the second overtime goal he scored this week, too. He scored another one earlier in the week. He's He's a, been a point-of-game player coming back from that. Uh, hip resurfacing procedure, which really hasn't, he's, he's, he's kind of one of the, the guinea pigs for lack of a better word, but he's one of the first players that have actually had this procedure and, and, you know, we're testing to see if he can get back to a level of mobility. And I'd suggest if you look at his point totals uh, and you, you see it, the way he can still play the game, you know, it's, it's, it's been really great. And so there was a lot packed into that one moment. And I love that it was a long breakaway because I was actually watching live. I'm not sure if you were, but you had a moment to go like, oh, wow, okay. That's Patrick yeah. Kane. Like, you, it didn't, it wasn't bang, bang, right? It was like you had a moment to realize, like, holy, he's got a breakaway here in overtime and, you know, buried the shot past Peter Mrazek and gets that, that celebration. And, yeah, you know, it was pretty cool. I mean, that sports, that sports. Remember, he almost scored, I, I believe it was an overtime winner in his last game as a member of Chicago before he got traded to the Rangers. I think it hit hit a post or something. Anyway, you just you come to expect those moments from him. And, you know, we haven't talked a lot about Detroit, but I, I think you're going to get a chance to see those moments from him in the playoffs because uh, the Red Wings have really surged here in, in the, the last little bit. And, and I think that they're well on track now to, to be a playoff team. And, you know, that's that's pretty cool, too, because that organization, when we talk about those that have endured a long wait to get back to meaningful hockey, uh, Hockey Town USA is, has, has had that. Uh, we'll get to more jealous in a second, but could you have imagined if Patrick Kane scores that overtime winner and he does the heartbreaker celebration <laughs> like that would have just that literally would have maybe broken a few hearts uh, in that building. But just that's what he's known for, obviously. Yeah, and it's funny, like I didn't get the sense it broke hearts. Like I, I feel like the fans almost liked it. I mean, they're not cheering against yeah. Chicago. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they probably would have liked it better if it was a Bedard breakaway going the other way and he ends it and you, that would have been fitting in its own way. Right. But, um, you know, I don't think there's any bad blood there. That's what's unique is, you know, Patrick Kane stayed five years after it was pretty clear. The team was, was, was going in the wrong direction was trying to be part of the solution. Obviously, you know, was, you know, put a guy like Alex de who was a young star for the Blackhawks under his wing. Um, you know, and, and wanted to be there when when Chicago got back to a point where it's competitive. It just didn't all line up the way everyone wanted it to happen. And that, that would have been great. But I, I think it was still pretty good. It looked like he was kind of motioning to the fans there. I'm not sure what he was saying to them. But, um, you know, I'll still remember. I, I, you might not remember this game, but do you remember when he and Austin Matthews went back and forth? And Austin scored a big tying goal and kind of put his 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 thing to his ear and and. That you know, Kane responded. Matthews responded. I, I covered that game, and I actually went into the Chicago locker room after the game to ask Kane about that, and he was like legit pissed off. That was an October game. It wasn't. There was no stakes. <laughs> it, it was and and but like you know, Matthews Kane was Matthews's hero, right? I mean, you're talking about and Patrick Kane for my money, the best U.S. born player in NHL history. If there's someone who might pass him with another 10 years, we'll see. Austin Matthews might pass him. I mean, the, I, I, it's too soon to say, but it, 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 the point is, though, is, is there's a direct link between them because Kane was Matthews' hero when he was a kid. And obviously for him at that point, he was a young player in the league. And I'm sure he, and he loved that moment where he's going back and forth with his idol and they're each having, you know, it's almost like basketball players going head to head and hitting threes over each other. And uh, but Kane was like pissed off. Like, and, and I just think what a competitive guy he is. Obviously, not the biggest uh, in terms of stature, but, you know, really still pretty electric. Um, you know, when we talk about who you pay to watch play, I'd still, I'd still pay to watch him play. And um, pretty cool that that all came together on a, on a Sunday in Chicago. what did you think of uh, Connor Bedard getting the hit on Patrick Kane during that game? I love the hit. I love the response. Where he said, if he wasn't wearing a bubble, I would have went after him or something like that. Um, from Kane said that in the media afterwards. You know, it was it was cool. I think that there's a lot of mutual admiration there, right? Like this is this is where I mean, look, it's a competitive sport, and and we we'll, we all celebrate the you know when teams really go at each other. But I think this in this case, it's like everyone it's it's in a good place. 
where, you know, I saw Kane had lots of great things to say about Bedard. Bedard's obviously playing him hard in that moment. Um, you know, it's the past and the future and the present all kind of like wrapped up together and you, and you see it on the ice at one time. I mean, you just, you don't get that all the time. And, and certainly for Kane, when he had that, that hip procedure, there was no certainty he would get a moment like that again. I don't just mean the overtime winner. I mean, even the chance to go back and play there, like who, who knew? I mean, obviously he believed in, in his doctors and the rehab process, but it was long. He had that surgery, I believe on June 1st and, you know, didn't sign until November. Um, you know, a lot, there's a lot of time there for, things maybe to not go so well. And he had to work pretty hard to get back to even have that moment. Uh, and so I think that that's pretty cool too, just that that was there. And it's a huge win for Detroit. Um, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to that, that playoff window. And, you know, had they maybe lost a bunch of games, we'd be talking, Oh, do they trade Kane at the deadline? But there's no, no discussion like that now because the Red Wings clearly uh, have a great shot to, to be back in the playoffs. He looks like he fits there. The Red Wings look like a playoff team for the first time in a very long time. Once upon a time, it was you could set it and forget it. The Detroit Red Wings were making the playoffs. That's a team that is is starting to emerge from their own rebuild. We were talking about rebuilds earlier on in the show, but that's a team that's finally piecing things together, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, at 100%. They've taken another step this year. They took a step last season. Um and I just don't, I don't see any reason to forecast them getting worse because they still got young players like more at cider that they drafted high in the draft that are only going to get better. I mean, those players haven't yet hit their primes. Um, and, you know, DeBrinkhead is the right age. I, I like the contract they signed him to after that trade from Ottawa. I mean, if you look back on that trade, that, that, that was a fleecing of the senators. Um, you know, just, just not a lot of return for someone as impactful as DeBrinkhead. You know, part of that's the circumstances where the player, you know, had had the ability to kind of dictate where he was going to go because there's only so many places he'd sign an extension after the trade. But um, yeah, I think that they've done a nice job, and you know, I'm not I'm not putting them in that group of teams. I think can win the Stanley Cup this year, but certainly, you know, the, there's there's no easy first rounds anymore in the NHL. Or very few, and I th- I think they're going to give whoever they they play should they get in the playoffs a, a good good series. Any thoughts on Chelios? I'm really curious about how we'll discuss him because. At least from when I started watching hockey, watching Chris Chelios, obviously in the latter stages of his career, and it felt like just seeing him play, it was more about marveling over his longevity. This guy stopped playing professional hockey at the age of 46. So I missed the point in his career where he was more dynamic. And hearing fans, whether they're Canadians fans or Chicago fans, they talk about how exciting of a player that he was. Like I don't have any distinct memories of, of Chris Chelios doing that. Maybe you're able to paint that picture a little bit better. Yeah, I, I certainly remember it a bit from when I was a kid. I mean, he was, he was a tough player too, uh, like a real warrior logged huge minutes for, you know, he was in top shape all the time through his career. That kind of speaks for itself. That's the only way you can play past your mid forties is, is, you know, people probably forget. He had a few games with the Atlanta thrashers at the end. I do, I do kind of yep. vaguely remember, remember that, um, you know, and, and like Patrick Kane, he had a long, successful, you know, run in his hometown of Chicago. And that's why he's getting number seven, put in the rafters there, but he also then went on to Detroit and, and won cups with the Red Wings teams um, with Steve Eiserman and crew there. So yeah, he was just a real workhorse uh, top minute munching defenseman would, would make you pay a physical price, put up points too, and played for a long, he just did it at a high level for a long period of time. I think that, that, that you, you have a lot of respect for, for players like that heart and soul guy too. You, you could see that in the way sort of his teammates talked about him over the weekend and, and, and everything happened there. I, I don't know why it took so long, quite frankly, for his Jersey to, to go up because it has, he has been retired for quite some time, but you know, it's hard to argue with the decision and, you know, it won't be long before there's an 88 and a 19 in those rafters too, because I think Taves and Kane uh, both deserve a spot alongside him up there at United center. Absolutely. Okay, we're bouncing around from all these different cities. We started in Winnipeg. We've gone to Chicago. I want to make a stop in New Jersey. We'll try to do uh, another one of these pulse checks that we like to do on this show. They're a very interesting team, the New Jersey Devils. They're seven points out of a playoff spot. They lose to Tampa Bay on Sunday. Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager, I'm very curious what he does ahead of the deadline. The team's already been linked to Jacob Markstrom. We've discussed that speculation the Flames are still also fighting for a playoff spot, for better or for worse, but we know they're going to sell off some assets. Uh, UC Soros is also a name that's been thrown up as a potential 
a goalie for the Devils, but the Predators are in a slightly better spot than the Flames in terms of competing for a playoff spot too. What do you do if you're Tom Fitzgerald and you know you have a team that should be a playoff team, but they're falling short of expectations right now and you want to bring them there? Well, it's my understanding they've basically been calling around on every goaltender that that could be available. I think that they've kept tabs on Jake Allen's availability. You know, the, the Markstrom conversation, there was a push to try to get him recently. I, I could see there being a push there. I don't think the Devils have fully closed the door on that. Um, I don't know if they can bridge the gap between what Calgary needs to make it happen and what they need to make it happen. But I think that they'll try again there. I think they looked at John Gibson, you know, ultimately scared away by the, the three years remaining on his contract beyond this one. Um, and, and so Saros makes sense too. I mean, that, that, that those conversation, what's interesting is that there, there's two things to talk about here is, is one, they can still get in the playoffs. I mean, seven points is a lot. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's kind of a weird division this year, right? I mean, the, one of the teams that they're chasing is Philadelphia, who I still think will, be, be shipping, excuse me, shipping out some assets as time goes along here towards the deadline. And, and you know, look, full credit to the Flyers. They, they've had a season that I think exceeded what most of us thought they would, but, you know, they may not be able to sustain that right to the finish line. But even if the Devils are at a spot where they don't think they can make the playoffs or where they think it's not reasonable, they need to fix the goaltending long-term anyway. And so I still, I think, a, I think a Markstrom-type trade, or if it's Soros, makes sense because they need to be coming into next season a little more secure in that position, uh, no matter what happens for the remainder of this year. So I think that there's a lot of, there's obviously mounting pressure there um, with the way they've lost. You know, you probably saw Lindy Ruff's comments about the power play where he criticized the media. I mean, those yeah. are things that happen when, when they, I mean, we don't have to go in on that. I think it's self-evident. It's a silly thing to say. There's not much merit to it, but I think it's what it tells us about the situation is that, is there's mounting pressure there, right? I mean, everyone's feeling the heat and I'm sure that that's the case in the, in the GM suite. And, and I, I think the devils will be one of the teams that, that make a move or two still before the deadline. And, you know, maybe they're going to get out of, you know, making a big play for a rental uh, because there was a world that they could do that. Right. I mean, they, they got Dougie Hamilton's salary. Uh, they, they can keep that a long-term injured reserve right to the playoffs. So they've got cap space to make a, a move for a rental that that might make a little less sense if, as they've drifted kind of away in, in the playoff picture, but, but trying to get a goaltender, it makes a world of sense. And I guess if it doesn't happen by March 8th, we're going to be picking this conversation up around the draft. And as we get in the off season, because I, I just don't see them standing pat there because, you know, it's been a big part of the reason they are where they are. I mean, the injuries, they, they've just had kind of a weird year where they've never gotten in a long flow and, you know, had everyone firing at the same time. Um, but, but goaltending is, is a story of why the devils were one of the surprise teams of last year playing into the second round and, and they might ultimately miss the playoffs this season. Man, I, I wonder if Tom Fitzgerald just does some one-stop shopping and hits up the flames and says, okay, Jacob Markstrom on the table, put Noah Hannafin in. I think if you're Craig Conroy, why not put that together? And that's a deal where you can put yourself in a situation where you can get a Dawson Mercer or an Alexander Holtz and a first round pick. Like, and then if you're the New Jersey Devils, you get a goaltender, you get a defenseman, you put yourself in a position to make the playoffs. I mean, it makes some sense. It's just about can they pay the the kind of price? And 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 you know, Craig Conroy's probably looking at it like, well, maybe I can trade both these guys and get two first round picks. I mean, it's uh there's a lot going on in Calgary, right? I mean, we, there's we, so much going we, we on. Talk, I feel like we talk with the flames every episode, but it's because they've been the linchpin of the season. And, and it's such a weird year, you know, doing the trade board and whatnot. I mean, the flames have been right at the top the whole time and we haven't had an impactful trade made between teams that aren't Calgary. I mean, I know we had this Emil Benstrom, uh, Alex Nylander deal between Columbus and Pittsburgh in recent days, but we haven't really had impactful moves anywhere that didn't involve the flames. And, and, there's still a couple more, you know, shoes to drop. And so let's, let's see where it goes, but I, I it marks from the New Jersey still makes all kinds of sense. Um, I think for, for everyone involved, quite frankly, and, and, you know, there's still 10 days here to get that deal done or one that looks similar to it. Yeah. I, I get the feeling that this is going to be, this is going to be one of those years where it's all down to the wire, like the, the two, three days around the deadline, I'm going to have to walk around with my laptop and camera and mic for an emergency pod, which is great. But I think it's going to be one of those things where I was talking about with a colleague the other day, let everyone accrue the cap space. And then those last few days, 
we get the blitz. Then we get all the trades. That's going to happen. I'll say this. I like that. It's not predictable. Like I, I yeah. like that. Like last year was a lot of fun because we saw all these trades three weeks out, two and a half weeks out, two weeks. I can't remember. It was like nuts. It felt like every day, that. every second day we were, we were getting a big trade. And, and, and also remember last year, remember we had players being scratched for trade related reasons for like yes. five and six games. I remember like, that. Five, yes. But that was like five or six games before they were dealt. I mean, I, I know we're going to start seeing players held out of lineups this week or in, certainly by the weekend where we're a week out from the deadline. But, but like, remember last year, guys missed like two or three weeks. Um, Gavrikov, I remember, was one of them. And, and Columbus was held out for a long time before the trade delay. Anyway, this, it, it's, it's, every year has its sort of unique circumstances. There's so many teams on the bubble this year. That's what we didn't have. Like last year, we didn't have crazy playoff races, really. This year, yeah. there's all like the Western Conference is still just bunched right up. I, as I mentioned, I already, I still think New Jersey's in it. I mean, Pittsburgh isn't ready to wave the white flag just yet. It's it's just a it, every year has its own dynamic, and and James Duffy can rest easy right now because he's always worried about the, the years where the big trades happen early. We're just clearly not in that environment this season. I'll make sure to send a text to James Duffy wishing him well on March 8th. I always think of that man, Sandy. And I think of the sports that team too. They do a good job as well, but we all know that, you know, I mean, you work for TSN now. So we kind of got to think about TSN James Duffy. These days. Yeah, we got, we got, <laughs> sorry, sports that we got to think of James Duffy. <laughs> it's the TSN pod. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. So the New Jersey Devils, of course, uh, will be following them and the Flames and a whole bunch of other teams. Uh, and, and there's obviously going to be more trade content to come. Do you have another trade board coming out in a, in a couple of days? Or Yes, I don't know exactly when, but definitely another one in within days. Okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll have more conversations about the names on that board, probably more about Noah Hannafin. Uh, there's going to be a trade proposal story coming up, too, so we can go in on that. Anyway. Uh, one weird story I want to get to from the last few days in Arizona, uh, Adam Ruzicka, uh getting waived and his, his contract terminated uh, by the Coyotes after a social media video surfaces uh, with a, a white powdered substance, a credit card on a plate. It's a bit of a weird, weird video to dissect. I, I, just kind of two questions about it. We don't have to spend too long on it, but what did you think of the reaction around the video and how it got shared and how media got onto it? Because that ended up turning into a bit of a, a talking point online, but it, just a bit of a weird situation with that player. It was weird. You know, I, I actually got tagged by someone that that's you how I first tagged. saw the video. Like, I don't even know where that came from. I don't know who posted that video. Like, I, I don't know how that got into my feed, but it got into my feed that way. Um, you know, we're talking about a young man who my first thought is I, you know, I hope he's okay. I, you know, I, I kind of, I have to be careful. I'll use my words, but it, it could be yes. a cry for help for that to ever be out there. Like I, I don't know the circumstances of how that got posted, but you know, it's, it's not a good thing. And, and I'll say this, there's a reason why the NHL and NHLPA have a player assistance program where players can seek treatment for all kinds of issues related to substance abuse, uh, mental health, uh, related issues, anxiety, you name it. Um, and I just hope if, if Ruzitska needs that kind of training, he's get it, he gets the help he needs. And, and, you know, from just the hockey standpoint, this is a very troubling trend, I think, for the NHL players. I mean, NHL contracts are supposed to be guaranteed, you know, up to a pretty high standard of, of you know, it takes usually or traditionally it's taken like criminal charges or something for teams to be able to get out of a contract. And, you know, as far as I know, that's not a factor in this this case. Um, and so, you know, I would not be the least bit surprised to see a grievance filed uh, whereby, you know, that basically they contest the ability to, to terminate that deal. If you remember, even the Sharks tried to terminate Evander Kane's contract yes. ultimately after the after the grievance was filed. They, they reached a deal, but the contract didn't, didn't end up being truly terminated. There was, there was a cash settlement in that case, you know, the Chicago did it with Corey Perry this year. There's still an ability for him to challenge that, um, that, that grievance. But the, the truth is, is teams aren't supposed to just be able to cancel a contract because they don't like something you did. Um, it's supposed to be a higher standard than that. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but, you know, first and foremost, What's Adam Rzitzka, 23, 24 years old? I mean, this is a young man, and, and 
I hope he gets treatment and I hope we see him back in the league, honestly. And, and, and I don't have any reason to believe we won't quite frankly, but um, it just feels like the, the proper procedures weren't followed here. Um, it seems to me that he should be given a chance to, you know, work on himself before, you know, having his contract terminated, but Arizona made that move pretty quickly. You know, keep in mind, he hadn't been with the organization long. There's not maybe the same loyalty there that there would be for a player that's grown up in the organization. It's not to excuse the action, but maybe to explain it a little bit. Um, and I, you know, he's got 60 days to file an grievance, and I'd be surprised if there wasn't one filed because it's, it's about his situation, of course, but it's also about what's the standard for any player to have their, their contract terminated. And one of the, one of the benefits NHL players have compared to some others like NFL players, for example, is that their deals are, are meant to be guaranteed contracts. Yeah. I'm glad that's explained because my first thought was you know, upon seeing the video was that, okay, this player is probably getting admitted into the player assistance program, but I, I was a bit confused and I'm sure a lot of listeners and, and viewers were a bit confused too at the fact that that situation wasn't brought up with Adam Rizichka and it went straight to waivers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an organizational decision the Coyotes took ultimately. Um, and, and I don't know enough myself. Like, I don't know if he wants to enter the program. I mean, that's a voluntary thing in, in a sense. Like if, if you're unwilling, no one can make you go enter the program either. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there, but that didn't feel right. I'll say that did, did not feel right. Okay. All right. One more story for you before we get to ask CJ. Thank you for the questions. What do you think of the story around Matt Rempe, the New York Rangers forward, who it feels as if in every game he's played, someone wants to fight him. Someone wants to go with him. He had a scrap over the weekend against uh, Nick Delorier from the Philadelphia Flyers that many are looking at as a, 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 a callback to the olden days of fighting, just the haymakers being thrown. But since then, we've seen media members and even former fighters step up and say that it might be a little concerning that Matt Rempe is fighting as much as he is. What say you about Matt Rempe and the pugilist that he is? Remember, he also fought in the outdoor game a week or so ago. Yeah. Fought again on su- Sunday, I believe. I mean, yeah, yes, it's, it's a lot. And I don't think he can keep it up. I hope he doesn't have to keep it up. I hope it's not something that is expected. But look, he's six foot eight. And, you know, he also had a hit this week where he ran over Nathan Bastion. Yes. Um, you know, cl- clearly he's a fourth line player for the, the Rangers. He's there to make a physical impact. And, and, you know, fighting is still, a, it's, it's an increasingly smaller part of the game, but it's still a part of the game. And I'm sure he's, this is partly how he's trying to win an NHL job. And so, yes, I think it's, it's easy. Like I can sit back and say, yeah, it's concerning. You don't want this guy taking blows to the head every night. And, you know, because he's been on the tough end of a couple of those fights too. Um, but I can also understand, you know, this is, his, this is his opportunity. I mean, we're talking about the Rangers is one of those teams that's going to be out there making trades at the deadline. I mean, he could easily see his roster spot taken by someone else and he's trying to make himself indispensable. So, you know, I don't know that anyone has to step in. I'm sure there's those conversations are happening with the Rangers. Just, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to take every single fight that's, that comes your way. Um, but he's, he's put himself on the radar and, and most of it's been positive too. I think that, you know, there were some that were wondering about the hit he threw, if there'd be a suspension there against New Jersey. But beyond that, I, I think that that he's he's kind of becoming a bit of a fan favorite there for the Rangers. And, you know, it's a good story about how he's he's pushed through and, you know, found himself with a, you know, it's a pretty, pretty big fourth line that the, the Rangers are rolling out right now, too. Um, and and he's, you know, he's, he's won a job. So I, I don't know if he has to stop fighting. I don't know. I think I kind of feel like it's just going to happen in due course. I mean, I watch a lot of NHL games, Julian. There's not that many fights. It no. just seems that every night he's in, he's in one. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine there's going to be a whole bunch of willing combatants every team the Rangers play. Uh, one other thing that hasn't been mentioned with Matt Rempe, he has a goal to his name. And it was a game-winning goal against the Philadelphia Flyers over this weekend. So he at least has that to his name. I will say I didn't like the hit on uh, on Nathan Bastion earlier this week, and I was a bit surprised that uh, there was no further discipline handed out after it. It did look bad. I don't know if you feel differently about it, but I was surprised. It's a tough one. It's he I don't like he he's so much bigger than the other player. I don't think there's any malintent there, but 
Okay. We can agree to disagree on that one. Let's get to. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate, so, you know, I hate suspension debates. I just hate it. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not like we've ever had one of those say, before. You know, but I'm just saying, I don't know what, the, how the decisions are made. I don't, I don't spend as much time looking at it as they do. And so I, I don't know. Well, the good, well, 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 the thing that kind of helps you in this case is with the way that some of these suspensions are handled, some people would wonder how much is being taken care of with, with the department of player safety. Like, the standard again is thrown under question. I, I, I think I think that's the case. That's fair, I, but that's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's productive for you and I to argue about suspensions because, like, I don't, fair. I don't even know what we're arguing about. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. We don't have to get into that. That could be for the next episode. Who knows? Let's get to ask CJ. We'll get you some more fun questions to debate over. You don't want to debate over. You don't want to debate over uh, suspensions. What about uh, this question from Matthew W? What is the last non-sports movie you saw? Ooh. We have to make these questions fun. I don't really... Like, I've watched some, like, documentaries on Netflix lately. Sure. Those count. Yeah. You could... you that Those count. Like I, I watched the bear. I really like the bear. I don't know if you saw that that series. That's a, I mean that's a TV show, but I also understand where you're getting at too. Okay. That's a, apparently a really good show. You didn't see it? I, I like. There's just something about that show. I just haven't really. I don't know. That doesn't oh, seem like, like my it. type of show. I, but I know a lot of people like it. I, I there's this weird thing with me where like as soon as so many people latch on to a to a show like that, I get very hesitant about jumping in. I mean, that, oh, okay. it's, it's a case. Well, it's a case by case situation for me with that. Fair enough. I thought the second season it really found itself in the bear. It was good. I, I like the episodes are like half an hour each, so they're pretty yeah. digestible. If you're, um, I'll give it a chance. Maybe later in the summer. I didn't watch it. I just had a couple flights lately. I didn't watch a movie on any of those flights. Now I, I don't know the last movie. It's been a long time. I didn't see Barbie. I didn't see Oppenheimer. I didn't see what else is big this year. I, I didn't see any of them. <laughs> I want well, well, well. Now that means we can't ask you for your Oscar ballot. No, I would be useless. I don't even know anything about anything. You never, so you've never been to any of those like Oscar parties where like everyone like like I've I've seen people like throw in their own like ballots and stuff, and they all try to guess like categories and all that. Like those seem like fun parties. I'm aware that they happen, but I've never personally attended one. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll figure something out in uh, a few. You know what? We might have to retire the movie game because I know you hate it so much. <laughs> I mean, we'll do it every once in a while. Just it's got to be sparing. Yeah, yeah, we we'll we'll spare you from that. Let's get to another one from Ryan Elliott here. Not a hockey question, but I'm eight weeks away from running the London Marathon for charity, which will be my first full marathon. Any advice leading up to the day or the day itself? CJ and SDP getting me through all the long runs. So thank you. Well, that's awesome. First of all, like I'm so excited for you. There's nothing to me. There's like nothing more exciting than your first marathon. Uh, Because it's even when you've done the the training and the work, and I'm sure you have, Ryan, you know, there's still this, there's still this idea of uncertainty. Like you, you don't know if you can do it. You don't know how your body's going to react. You don't know what kind of day you're going to get all those things. You know, a couple pieces of advice that come to mind is really make sure the last two weeks especially before your, your race that don't, don't do too much. Like at that point, all you can do is damage. You can't, you can't increase your fitness at that stage. All you can do is impair your fitness by tiring yourself out. So, so really take the taper period seriously. I know it's a hard time mentally because you're, you're worried because you're not running enough that, that it's not going to be there for you on the day. But I'd say, you know, really take that seriously and, and just have faith in, in the work you put in already. The other is, and it's maybe a bit late in your training cycle to, mess around with, um, you know, the fueling strategy you have. But for me, by far, the the biggest breakthrough I've had in my long distance racing has been taking the Morton gels, M-A-U-R-T-E-N. Those things are like magic. And so maybe it's late if you haven't been using those gels to introduce them because, you, you know, you want to be sure. But I would say if you do another long distance race, either a half marathon or what, it, you know, so be it, I, I would try those gels. I think that they, they, they were the key to my legs not breaking down uh, as much as they used to 
prior to when I used them. So Morton gels, take your, uh, take your taper period seriously. And honestly, just have fun. Like it's just fill your heart with gratitude and go out there and give it your best. I don't know if you have a time goal or anything like that, but whether you hit it or not, I mean, so few people ever get a chance to cover 26.2 miles in a run and you're going to do it in a couple weeks time here. And I wish you the best. Can I ask a stupid running question? When you go yep. and do those marathons or just a basic run for yourself, are you hydrating yourself with water? Are you using Gatorade? Like, how do you go about hydrating yourself? On personal runs, if it's long enough, I'll bring like a water bottle. But I'm talking for me, I, I'm weird. I don't actually take in as much water as probably the average person does. Like I can do a 15 or 20K run without water. Um, obviously, I drink a lot before and after, but not during. Um, when you're doing a race, they, they have water stations. And so I definitely hit those water stations in a race. Um, even sometimes, just depending how hot it is or what time of year it is, but even just to throw the water over your head can feel good um, when, you're, when you're in the run. So, yeah, you've got to fool yourself. That, but it's important that you take gels um, when you're going on really long runs because even, even the fittest person on earth, like their muscles will break down. You just can't store enough energy in your body to run for three straight hours or four straight hours. You need to be putting something back in your body as you go in, in order for your muscles not to break down. So um, that's where I say those Morton gels, like game changer, game changer. And for some reason, Julian, they have one um, that has caffeine in it and they've stopped selling it in Canada. So oh. I have to keep, I have to like, I have to get my Morton hit when I'm in the States and I'll buy a box and bring it back over the border. Okay, all right, all right, all right. It's 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 our secret, and with the one hundred percenters as well. Don't tell anybody. One last one for you from Maureen. If CJ had to vote on the Hart Trophy, actually, you know what? We have uh, we have two other ones. Sorry, I'll get to this one from Maureen first. If CJ had to vote on the Hart Trophy today, who'd get his vote? Does he think it's a three-player race between Kucherov, McKinnon, and AM thirty-four? I threw Connor Hellebuck in my conversation too. Um, okay. I think he's had that kind of year where he's at least worth a mention in the top four or five and, and consideration. I'll say this. It's I'm really glad I don't have to vote today because what's, what's incredibly hard is, and I don't have the exact number. When you look at what percentage of goals the Tampa scored that Kucherov has been in on, it's bonkers. He's been in on like half of their goals or more as a team. And so when you're talking about player most valuable to his team, I mean, I, I, that, that's a pretty compelling argument. That being said, Austin Matthews season has been off the charts. I, I don't know how I'm going to make but that I mean, argument with him too, but I think you can make that argument with him too. I mean, I don't know the specific percentage of, of how many goals. I mean, look, Austin Matthews was scoring all these goals and, but, but I could think of all the facts that, Toronto's team, at least compared to how we've looked at other regular season teams, it's just not the same. But a big reason why they're in the position that they're in is because of Austin Matthews. Yeah, and, and he does a lot of his scoring at even strength. A lot of his points are primary points. I mean, some of the players that are way above him in total points just have more secondary assists. And I'm not, I'm not trying to degrade their performance, but I think you have to really look through that. The hardest thing to do in the game is score. He's still on pace for 70-plus goals. If he scores 72 goals, I just think it's going to be hard not to give it to him. Um, and that's why – but I don't know if he's going to do that. He, maybe he gets quiet over the next month. I mean, it, it, like, it's it's not impossible. So I, I, I'm really grateful that we're going to get another, you know, basically eight weeks to to watch this before the end of the regular season, seven, seven and a half, eight weeks. Um, and it's going to be a hard choice. But the, the things I'm focused on is how, how much of Tampa's offense Kucherov has clearly been – a part of responsible for Matthews's goals. I mean, McKinnon has been a beast. I, you know, I don't know if you saw Saturday's game, but just like he's a freight train when he hits top speed, like, what are you going to do? Um, and then Hellebox, you're in Winnipeg, you know, if the Jets finish strong. I could see him getting some, some love too. Absolutely. Probably and likely we'll have the Vez in the sewed up too. Uh, Mark Allred asks, what do you guys think the Boston Bruins will do before the deadline? If anything at all? They don't have a lot of cap space and they don't have a lot of assets. I could see it being a quiet deadline there. Uh, you know, I've seen some talk if, if they need to create space, do they move Linus Allmark out uh, with Jeremy Swayman, sort of the goalie of the future and the present in, in tow? I mean, that's a dangerous game to be playing. Just 
you know, one of the strengths of that team is you have two, two guys, if there's injury, if there's underperformance at certain points, um, I could see, I mean, certainly the Bruins and Don Sweeney's, you know, track record is, is they're in on a lot of conversations. They're looking at what can be done, but it's just more and more feeling like they're not taking a big swing with that team. Um, yeah, I think they'd like some forward help in particular, but capped out league and they don't have a lot of assets to make those trades. So it might, might be a year that they just have to sit mostly on the sidelines. Okay. We've gone through enough on this Monday edition of the CJ show. You can breathe CJ. You've done enough today. <laughs> Woof. I think that was, we, we passed an hour. We don't pass an hour too much these days. So yeah, I, I, hey, I, Risto, knew we were I hope you took it. a long walk with your dog over there in Sweden because that's, <laughs> we gave you an hour. <laughs> I, I knew we were going to pass an hour after the Winnipeg Jets conversation. And uh, again, I encourage you to read CJ's interview with Mark Chipman if you haven't done so already. And Murata Tesh's article on the Winnipeg Jets as well. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on uh, YouTube or Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to our show. And check out the rest of the Steve Dangle Podcast Network for more great content, whether it's the Steve Dangle Podcast or Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh. Still thinking about uh, the the joke you made last week about me getting traded to that show. I think someone on Discord was trying to pitch a couple trades, <laughs> but some of the other shows. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe someone could could do some kind of fictional SDPN uh, trade tracker. Uh, no one's going anywhere, guys. We're fine. Uh, but uh, maybe I'm just, gonna put you on the next joke. trade board. Oh boy. I, I, if I'm going to be on the trade board, put me on like number one, at least, right? Like put me in that situation. I'm, there's no way I'm not the top commodity on the trade board. I'm not behind Jesse or Adam. I'm sorry. That wouldn't, that wouldn't get past super editor, Jake Leonard at the athletic, but I would love to just like one day, just drop you in the trade board. Oh my God. No, don't put Jake Leonard into this man. good dude. He would scrap that out immediately, but good, nice oh, try yeah. though. Nice and, try. And nothing. Nothing happens without him. So like he's he's the key. Like I get him stories. I don't know how the stories end up looking so good online, but that's that's all Jake's work. Very early stick tap for uh super editor Jake Leonard and the rest of the athletic staff uh for their work with our articles at the athletic, which of course you can subscribe to. Anyway, we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode of our show. For CJ, I'm Julian. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Thursday. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.